Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week, we are having an untraditional uh, episode. Instead of a normal uh, superstar guest where we just ask questions, I'm bringing a superstar guest on to just debate a topic. And so we're calling this series, Breaking It Down with Bentley. So Bentley Captain's our guest. You're gonna get to learn who he is here in a second. Our, our goal in this series is just, you know, we'll do it probably once a quarter, maybe even once a month if it's something that you guys enjoy, but it's to have a quick conversation about a relevant topic. And uh, just this, this is someone that I really enjoy talking to and you'll see, and just us debating and everything always comes to life when I talk to Bentley. And so our goal is just to, to choose a topic and just dive deep with it. And so our topic right now is defining the ideal school. One of the topics that we've discussed a lot on this podcast and with others is a lot of people in education are getting burned out on education and a lot of folks aren't choosing to come into the profession. And so we're going to approach tackling those issues in, in different ways. And one of those ways is thinking about what that ideal school is that would make people want to stay and love their job and then attract new people to the profession. So with that, we're going to call this the Breaking It Down series. And I'd like to introduce our guest, Bentley Captain. Bentley, thanks for being with us today. All right. Thanks for, for having me. Happy to be here. Dude, I'm pumped. So the one question that is going to feel like our normal podcast is our same question we ask every guest is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Oh, well, I'm Bentley Captain. Um, I guess I would identify as an educator. What I love about what I do with supporting our K-12 work here in New York, primarily Brooklyn and the Bronx, is I just love connecting and supporting schools. Um, that's where it's at for me. I think schools are the heartbeat <laughs> of what makes everything go in the world. And just the opportunity for me to continue supporting schools in the New York City area has always been a delight. I just love just being a thought partner, having conversations with, with schools and just figuring out ways to help them get better and achieve their goals. That's awesome, man. So uh, just before we, we dive in, give our listeners just a little bit of an idea, a flavor of your journey in education, because you've had a, a few different stops. And so you have a really unique background. And one of the things I love about you is one, I just love your genuineness and your people are going to, the people who are listening are going to see that really quickly, but you're so thoughtful. And I think part of having the thoughtful opinions that you have on a regular basis is you've seen the education work in a number of different ways. So tell, tell the listeners a little bit about your education background. Yeah, for the past decade plus, um, I've honed a lot of my abilities in innovating, setting measurable goals, and overseeing systems. Um, I've held every role inside of a school. I will always identify as an educator. So from the curriculum side, from the school leader side, as a teacher, and then as an instructional coach, um, supporting teachers and principals um, from the coaching side all over, all over five boroughs in New York City. Um, I've also had some project management experience working in local government, uh, mainly solidifying resources on the nonprofit space and really just collaborating with the bottom line of impacting schools and students in a positive way. That's awesome. Well, this this topic originally came up uh, from Principal Ra, a conversation I had with him about building these ideal schools and this revolution he was wanting to start. And my job, I mean, most of the folks who are listening assume probably my main job is the podcast. Well, my main job is managing director in Franklin Covey Education. So for the last, I don't know, let's say decade, but definitely the last five years or so, I feel like I've traveled all across the US and Canada working with districts and schools. And I've got exposed to a lot of really awesome schools that I think are revolutionizing education and changing a lot of people's lives. 
ourselves. And so uh, with that, I think you and I's background would be, it'd be fun to talk about what our ideal school is. So when, when I say that to you, Bentley, describe or define what is your ideal school? Ideal school. Well, I think there are three ways to look at this. You can look at it from like the staff lens, the family lens, or student lens. But plainly, when I think about an ideal school, it's a school that you're excited to attend as a student. It's a school that me as an outside observer, I'm walking in and I want to work here, right? Um, as a as a community member, as a family member of someone that goes to that school, you you want to be a part of of what's going on and inside of that school, right? It's this idea that, you know, I want to be at a school where the weather is always sunny, <laughs> where I feel like it's okay for me to make mistakes, but, you know, the value of learning is still there. The value of my opinion and my background is still there. Um, I think those are like from the macro level, there are some other like micro things I would love to include, but I think from the macro level, those are the things that I would highlight. Yeah, well, you and I have a similar background in terms of the kind of ed reform parts that we've been a part of. And so I know that when we walk into school, our expectation is to see awesome student learning and to be blown away by it. But I love what you said. Uh, and that's something that you and I have talked about a bunch is um, it's the first time when I think about my ideal school, you talk about right when you walk in, you know, any kid that you care about, whether it's in your family or a friend's kid, you'd right. want to send to that school. Right. And any educator, including yourself, who wants to be in education, you'd want to tell them to go work at the school. Yeah. And, and like that should be that 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 unfortunately is not the case for a lot of people. Like, but that should be like the bare minimum, right? Yeah, should feel so comfortable sending my kid, recommending any other family to send their kid there. Like, no hesitation. Yeah, and so let's let's define a little bit. I could go way down some rabbit holes that I'm going to try to avoid right now, which is like, what's causing that? I don't, this is supposed to be uplifting and like, well, <laughs> let's define what the vision is. Right. Fair, fair. And maybe at some point, if people like hearing us talk, we'll go down the dark rabbit holes <laughs> of like what, what's in the way of that. Right. But so when you think about from a student lens, when we walk into a school or when you walk into a school and you think, all right, man, this is, this is that school. What are you seeing from students that yeah. sets it apart? Enthusiasm. Um, I think the most powerful schools represent that through the enthusiasm of their students. These kids are excited to not only learn, they're excited to be here. They're excited to have strong habits of discussion. They're busting out their homework. They're, they just want to get after it, right? Everything is, everything is important. It's, it's, almost, it's almost this illusion of speed too, right? You should walk into a school or the schools that I've been the most happy of. It's like things are moving really quickly. It's almost like I would describe it as like a beautiful chaos, right? There's just so much happening. Everyone is involved. There's constant communication between the students and, and their peers and, you know, with their teachers. Um, just in full involvement, right? You're walking into a classroom where everyone is involved. It's not just one or two students. It's not kids sleeping around. It's everyone being involved. And like that teacher really acting as that facilitator there. Well, one of the things as you're talking, one of the things that I think about uh, out of all places, you know, going to almost 50 states and seeing different schools and in Canada, um, there's a school in a really small area in Illinois that I'll never forget. And when I think about from the student lens of what you're talking about is I would add to that. I want students to have almost the illusion that school needs them more than they need school. Right. Wow. And so 
uh, I remember this story of uh, I was walking down the hall. And one of the things, I don't know if you're this way, but when you walk through schools, I always seem to find the last kid the school wants me to meet first. I mean, they're not... They don't not want me to meet every kid, but the one kid I meet is the kid. They're like, "Oh no, he's had a tough week or a tough year," and like, and so in this school, yeah. So in this school, it was Kyle, and he was like, you know, I probably scared at him because I have a suit on. I'm like, "Hey, sir, what's your name?" He's like, "Um, Kyle." I'm like, "Okay, well, uh, do you have a role here? I hear you're a leader, and I didn't know that. I was like, I hear you're a leader because they the school told me." every kid believes they belong here and every kid believes they have a leadership opportunity. I'm like, that's cool. So tell me you're a leader. He's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm an art leader. And I'm thinking that's some nonsense. Like being a high school leader, you know, I'm a high school teacher. I'm very cynical probably. And so I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, what does it mean to be an art leader? And he goes, well, follow me. So he takes me up to the front, um, of the school. And there's like this display of like, he's a fourth grader, I think. And there's a display of, second grade art. Okay. So that's whatever that means. And it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Second grade art. And he says, this is what I choose. I go every month. I I work with the second graders and update the art here to have on the front welcome area. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I leave him. I'm like, thank you so much. I'm still, again, I, it's my fault. Most people with a heart would be like, that's awesome. Kyle has a role. He loves it. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know about this. So two things that happen. And then I will give this back to you to describe it. One, I walk into a, a fourth grade class right after that. And I just tried this. I was like, hey, guys, I, I met one of your art leaders in the school. And it was kind of like, buddy, the elf, like, ooh, which one? And I'm like, oh, God, this is kind of, this is a little too much enthusiasm. But they were excited. They said, oh, is it Kyle? Kyle has that role. So they knew who the kid was. And they knew what his unique contribution was to the community of the school. And they celebrated that. So that was one thing I noticed. The second thing, I stayed till the end of the day to meet his parent. And his mom said, you know, he was, until he had this role, he, uh, and I've seen this with my own kid recently, I'll tell you, is he was the kid who wanted, didn't want to go to school. He was sick all the time, always found an excuse not to go. And now he has this leadership job that he only has to update once a month. But he thinks in his head, I have to get to school every day because right. the school will fall down if I don't do that. And so when we talk about like enthusiasm, that's a more, it's a more detailed step that I think of. Do kids believe that the school will cease to exist if they don't show up? I don't know if you want to add to that. Sorry for that. Um, long. I'm, yes, I agree. But I feel like how they get there that's sometimes what plagues most schools, right? Because Mm. if they're not seeing that in their teacher, in the staff, if it's not like this happening via osmosis, then it's like we're putting too much of that on the student. But it's like that your example is really fascinating because it's like, clearly that staff was really thoughtful (laughs) or at least attempted to be thoughtful about each student and their contribution to to the school community. Because I I think, Mm. yeah, like, Ideally, that's what you want. You want every kid to feel valued, to feel that this school doesn't run without them and that the school needs them to be there. But it's like something that can be hard to do at scale if you have such a large school. So it's like, what does that look like? Like, how do we get there? Right. Um, But I do think it starts with the staff. Like, you got to have that buy in from the staff, and that has to be kind of just a part of your mission, right? Like, that should be also the baseline, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get, I mean, I definitely want to geek out with you on the staff because you and I've had plenty of deep conversations about this, but just staying with the kids. And one of the things that I've noticed in, you know, my, my son's school recently, like, you know, he's had, we've, we've all seen this in our schools. 
every kid has a job or something that they think is important. One of the things that I love that uh, his third grade teacher has done this year is she figured out what are different uh, roles that kids are passionate about. Well, my oldest son, Luke, is over my right shoulder here, is obsessed with weather. And so I feel like it was, I don't know, there's a day coming up like in a week or two where I have to take him out of school for a day for doctor's appointments or whatever. And I was telling him this and he melted down. He goes, dad, but who's going to do the weather? And I was right. like, I don't know. They'll find somebody. He goes, no, 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 but no one likes it like I do. And I've got to share them the weather that day. And I'm thinking <laughs> that is brilliant. Whatever that teacher has done to have Luke recognize his genius, but also give him a role that like, let him live that out. Yeah. That to me was key. Right. I don't know how you do it, but that was really fascinating. Right. I mean, yeah. Cause with that example and with what we're talking about, students should have something to look forward to every day. Yep. Like, what is that? Even what is that one thing? What are those two things, three things, ideally, that is getting them excited to wake up and go to school? And especially when you think about the older ages, where, like, let's be clear, you, you know, a lot of you getting to school is on your own. It's not mom or dad dropping you off. So I yeah. think that that conversation becomes a little more convoluted as we get older, right? When you think about the high school ages, which I know you have more experience with, it's like, how are we getting these young adults? to buy in and be invested and show up and be, you know, contributing members of our school and our mission and our goals. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to that point is, uh, yeah. Cause my example has been like that, that worked for a third grader. I promise when I taught trigonometry, if I, <laughs> if, if I gave Tavarius Caldwell, one of my favorite students uh, right. or David Treadway, the weather job in my classroom, they would clown on me and that would be over. So to that point, oh, you tripping, Mister O. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's actually what they would tell me. Actually, so to your point, what what is it for the older grades that you would see that would give you confidence? Or what? How do you think you build that in some of the older, even middle school, middle school and high school? Yeah. That's not like the classroom job, right? What could we do to do that? I mean, we you have to. I mean, relationships is where I always tend to go to because I think relationships is everything. Because you can use the tool of building a relationship with someone and having that rapport to get more information, right? So if I have, you know, a relationship with said student, uh, what was the student that you had mentioned? Tavares Cald- Caldwell. <laughs> so let's think about Tavares, right? Like me from day one, when Tavares walks into my classroom, it's like, I need to figure out everything about this kid, right? Whether it's like when he's walking in the hallway, asking him about his weekend, you know, if I figure out, if I see that he's wearing like, I don't know, a Miami Heat shirt, I'm like, oh, okay, let's talk about basketball. Like, it's like you're almost going out of your way as, as a, a staff member to be curious. I think the more curious we are about our kids, the more we're going to learn and find something to, to grapple, them, grapple with them and have a conversation and hopefully let it lead to building a strong relationship. And just finding out more what they do like about school and not like about school. Because, like, there's a lot of things that when we talk to students, they're going to tell us what they like and they don't like. They're going to give us that feedback. So if we have that relationship, we can get that feedback from them and then build together. Well, especially the older they get. One of the I've shared this one time in the podcast before, but I'm curious if you have or have seen any best practices that your teachers have used over time. But someone before I even started my first year of teaching talked to me about the power of this thing called a life map. And so I taught, you know, geometry, trigonometry, algebra two, 
And I always felt like, to your point, I'm like, what'd you say? Yeah, nerd. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But I I always felt like I wanted every... I knew knew a lot of kids were not going to love coming to my math class just because of the subject area was terrifying to them and they didn't feel confident. So I wanted every one of them to know that I loved them no matter what their performance was based on my class, right? And so this life map thing was just awesome for me learning my kids. And I still have all of their life maps because it's something I go back and read every couple of years. And so basically we drew, I taught them you can be creative, but you can draw your picture. So I I drew like little scenes from my life and I tried to add scenes that were really happy. And I I added other scenes like for me, I was trying to figure out scenes that would relate to them. So my parents got divorced when I was young. So I talked about that. And then uh, I talked about getting cut from a sport team. I talked about getting dumped by a girlfriend in high school. Like I talked about, and then I wrote it out and I shared it with them. And they're like, dang, Mr. O shared way too much probably. But what happened was, is that I had them do it and then share out with me and the ones who wanted to could share out with the class. And we got the chance to know each other better that way. And to me, like, that little thing, and to your point of like, I would take notes on like things that they thought were important and follow up with them on it. What have you seen your teachers or your favorite teachers do to try to build a deep connection to where every kid had to know that they were loved and cared about? Yeah. Um, so primarily my background is pre-K to five, or pre-K to eight. Um, one powerful thing that always helped every single year were home visits. Um the home visit was so powerful because we not only got a better aspect of our student, but we got a better aspect of our student as a member of their family, right? Yep. Um, understanding where they fall. Are they the oldest? Are they the young child? Um, are they more vocal? Um, also, it's like just understanding their the dynamics of how their family is set up, right? Yep. And that allowed for further conversations and just the beginning of building of a relationship with the student. So it's like, by the time we had the first day of school, it's like, I've already had this school visit. I already know where Donnell lives. I know who his brother and sister is. I know that he loves Spider-Man because he has Spider-Man all over his bedroom and all over his, you know, I think that was always just like an amazing way to start the year, establish that rapport and just to have something. So you're not starting the year off with a blank slate. Hmm. The the last thing that I'll say in terms of just uh, when I think oh, about the I mean, idea. Of course. Another powerful thing too. There's something really um, powerful. <laughs> call it magical by breaking bread with someone. So having breakfast or lunch with your students, you'll be surprised what comes out of that. Um, you'll learn so much, not only about their day, what they like, what they love, but sometimes like what's pressing them in that moment. And then you can like make that connection of like, ah, that's why they were having a tough, a tough time on that test. Or like, ah, that's why they were absent. Um, so I think those two things, the more, the more it's like just natural, the things that you would do with your friends, yeah. um, I think we could be doing with our students. They're people. Would you even notice that? So that would work for me at the high school level for sure. Would you even notice that with your young kiddos uh, and middle school I would kids? Say that eight to 12. Because the little ones, they're funny, right? It's like, oh, Mr. Captain, what are you eating? And it's just like, <laughs> we talk about food. I'm like, what's your favorite food? And then it just, and they never forget, you know, kids, they have the most amazing memories. By the time you get to the end of the school year, you know, when it's like some students would give gifts, which is really sweet. You know, one kid remembered what my favorite colors was and my favorite fruit, like gave me a fruit and a pen was my favorite color. So it's like, you'll be surprised. They're always listening. Um, yeah. So I think it's an amazing opportunity to take advantage of. 
So one last thing I'll just say when I think about ideal schools from a student vantage point, I I am obsessed when I walk into schools and students can tell me what their personal goals are, yeah, what their academic goals are, where they are in relation to achieving those goals. And they know the accountability steps that they got to take place that to get there. That is something that never gets old to me. Right. What about you? I mean, that's something that like I know for the older kids, like we talk about what motivated them. So knowing them, like you said, right. And then also having a winnable game that they felt like they could win, even when they were failing to try to come back and win every day. Yeah. uh, Kind of. So I have two things. So kind of similar to that. I am always compelled when a student can share a challenge and how they got through that challenge and overcame it and like what okay. they learned. And another thing that always, whenever I go to school, I've been through hundreds of schools, I, I still, still get tickled and love when a student of any age shows me around their school and is just beaming like, this is where we eat. Or this is where we, you know, do art. Here's my desk. Here's my locker. Because <laughs> that to me shows not only like, are you involved? Do you love your school? But it's this idea of, of pride, right? Like we want, it's so powerful when, it, when a student has like pride of their school to like getting back to your point of, you know, this school doesn't run without me. This school needs me. It's even, you know, equally as powerful when they're like, this is my school, right? Mm-hmm. This is where we do this. And you're coming in and I'm going to show you around because this is so amazing. Um, I, I'm still far from that. And I've that's, done that. No, that int- oh. that's interesting. So like my thought is, is like, you know, as folks listen to this podcast and, you know, you're going into the holiday break thinking about how to, you know, get a kick start to second semester. One of the questions is, as you think about is your school an ideal school is, do our kids have pride in being students here? And then start figuring out some baby steps to start building that. Right, right. Um, when I think about kids walking into a classroom, I hadn't thought about that in a while, but one of the things I love when I walk into a classroom is when a kid hops up yeah. and can tell me what they're doing in the lesson right now, right. engage with me and what's happening, and then let me watch. That blows my mind every right. time. Yeah. And so I, I would, that would be a bias of mine if I had a school right now. Be like, any class I walk into, anytime a stranger walks in, have at least one or two kids be able to stand up and explain what we're doing right now, what we're learning and where we're going. Yeah, because that's that's amazing because you're you're putting the power back on the students. Yeah. And you're allowing the teacher to be a facilitator instead of the driver, right? Yeah. It, when when you see it in action, it, as an educator, you I get chills. Like that's the stuff where I'm like, ooh, like how do we replicate that? Right. Like how so, do how do we more often? Let's let's pivot to um, a subject that you and I have a lot of a huge heart for and uh, spent a lot of time trying to solve, which is this educator uh, standpoint. So let's just first dive into when you think about the ideal school, what are we seeing through the educator lens? What is their experience like? What are they, what are they sensing? What are they hearing? What are they feeling um, on a regular basis? Yeah. There's a lot, lot of ways I can answer that question. Um, obviously feeling valued. I I do think nationally, and like feel free to argue me, argue with me on this. I don't think we respect or give enough prestige to the teaching profession enough. Um, if it were up to me, 
teacher's salaries would be in a six-figure range, yep. like bottom line. So when I think about um, teachers, staff, kind of like giving them more autonomy in terms of choosing what they want for their professional development, or at least just give, you know, giving them the choice to choose, right? Um, I so think, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I totally agree with you on that. I, when I chose to be a teacher versus going to the field of finance, which my degree was in, I remember my dad telling me it was uh, uh, not the best choice. He's come around since then, but it wasn't the best choice. And I remember one of the board members of my university telling me, you know, all these billionaires would hire me. and I'm choosing to be just a teacher. And I am like, that to me is probably why one of the reasons why I've stayed in education for so long, because I was so offended that folks would look at the education profession that way. And so, yes, I would say I totally agree with you, but back to a spirit that you and I always talk about is with what's in our locus of control. If we're talking right. about how do we build our ideal school, what what are we sensing and feeling as educators when we think about wow, this school is different? What are we seeing? Is it like a cool teacher's lounge? Is it more fun. What are we? What are we sensing? What's the What's the environment like from a teacher's lens for an yeah, ideal school? For the ones in terms of uh, for the uh, for the purpose of this conversation, in terms of what's in our control, the schools where I've seen um, the most satisfaction from staff and most utilization from the staff in terms of like getting the results, um, it tends to be the schools where the staff do get say um, in how the school operates, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really compelled by a school I visited in Washington Heights where um, it's a little thing. We know that as educators, school starts very early and it can be very late. So what this school did to combat that was they had um, staggered start and end times, right? So they had a shift of some teachers come in really early, like at eight, and some would come at 10, and obviously they end at different times. Obviously, not every school or locality could do that. Right. Um, but I think when we're giving, finding a way to to meet teachers where they're at in terms of workload. So if that if that idea turns into an additional prep, or you know, maybe it's like one day a week you you get an additional prep. Um, I also find that the schools that I've I've been most impressed with, where folks are the most happy, are the schools where you know the staff also has. Um, some autonomy with guidance of instructional coaches and school leaders um, of implementing the lessons, right? Mm. Uh, With trusting the teachers. Again, I come back to this idea of continuing to to value the prestige of educators, right? I, I, to a fault, trust educators with the students in their classroom with how lessons should be implemented to the different types, the various types of learners that they have. So I think the more we are able to have those conversations with the teachers and get into their heads as to like why they're making the decisions that they make and making it more collaborative, um, yep. I think that's where we're going to have more success. Yeah, there's a uh, a company I worked for a brief moment for um, in between my time running Teach for America and creating the Office of Innovation in St. Louis Public. And their tagline was the art and science of people, right? So one of the things I loved about that was for me, I, I've used that in trying to help my schools turn around or other districts turn around, which was teaching is an art and science. And the problem is, especially in the districts where I think you and I have served a little bit, where you've got, you know, everybody's in turnaround mode and you're on failing lists or whatever, 
you, you, you're so paranoid, like I got to control all the uncontrollable. So I'm going to make this a science. If you just do A and B and C and run teachers through that, um, right. that conveyor belt, we'll get the same results. But it's like, man, like nobody got into education to be put on a conveyor belt. So like, I'm okay with you crystal clearly telling me what are the outcomes you have to have, but how I do it, like you and I, I think we're pretty similar, which is why we're friends and hanging out here. But I think we would probably approach lessons a little differently. And that difference is what's going to connect our kids to the excitement of it versus me trying to be you and you trying to be me. Right. And I think to that point, it's making me also just, which is adjacent to this, is like making sure that there's clarity on what the objective and what the goals are, right? I think a lot of times there can be miscommunication between, hey, school leader is thinking this, when in theory the teacher hears something else and sees sees it as something else. So it's like the more we can get more clarity for the teachers, I, I think you can just let them rock, right? If they know that this is what my goal is, they can similarly to the students in a classroom say, hey, this is what I'm working on. Yep. This is what you know I'm really good at. This is what, you know, and this is where I'm going and this is my roadmap. I think that allows the teacher to, to be valued and respected as a professional to just get there and do their job, right? Which at the end of the day, we got to find more ways to remove the red lines and the, and the tape to, to allow teachers to do what they do best, which is educate. Well, this kind of comes back to your idea of take your kids to lunch and go break bread with them. You know, when I think about uh, schools that have that like best relationship is is high trust place where they have a relationship with the school leader and they know like that person is for them. They care for them. There's a connection there. It is something that like I can I have room to fail forward, have autonomy, but I am not going to let anybody down because I'm going to try to get the best results I can get. But I have the autonomy to make that happen. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's funny because now you're making me think of my personal experience when I um, was both a teacher and a school leader and the relationship piece is what, it's what keeps people right. Uh, When you think about certain teachers, I I feel like if you pull a teacher that's been at their school for a long time, yes, they're going to talk about the students. But a lot of them are going to talk about the relationships that they have within that school, whether it's with the school leader, whether it's with other teachers, whether it's with an instructional coach at that school. You know, whether if they have that strong relationship where they feel valued and they feel that they're developing, continuously improving, I think that's what anyone would want in any profession, right? Is this idea that someone is looking out for my best interest and helping me do my job to the highest capability possible. Yeah, I, I so one of the things that I've noticed recently, I guess over time I've always known this, but recently I've seen a lot more of is the ideal school for me has a leader who loves kids and is all about kids, but it knows their number one job are to love and serve the adults in the building like they used to serve their kids in their classroom. Because oftentimes what I see way too often, I would say, is we we choose these awesome teachers who have aspirations to be a school leader. They become a school leader. They are great people with a huge heart and can do a lot of great work, but their sphere of influence is still focused on kids. 
I'll keep making relationships with the kids, which is still important. I'm not saying edu- I'm not saying if you're a school leader, don't know the kids. You should know all the kids. I love when I walk into schools and see a principal who knows the names of every kid or is try- trying to learn the names of every kid. But the right. leaders that create the best environment for adults, in my opinion, are leaders who are obsessed with creating a a culture for the adults that's all about, I am for you. We have great relationships. I have high expectations and results, but I have high trust for you in terms of autonomy. And they see their job is, I love and serve the adults well. And because of that, they're going to love and serve the kids well. How, how does that land with you? I mean, if, if that was the baseline for every single school in America, my goodness. I, I mean, the, the possibilities are kind of endless, right? Because with that that baseline, you're really just allowed to keep to keep um, to focus not on like making sure that the relationship is fine that the trust is there. Now you can focus more of your your energy on the academics, on the students, on your families, on bringing the community in. Right? It's going to be much easier to bring people along on your mission. If that nucleus of school leader and staff and teacher is there, so yeah, I'm I'm all about that. Yeah, and the other thing I think is, I, I there was a school in Iowa some years ago that had a complete culture shift over a year, and one of the things that I loved that that principal brought in, who's now a superintendent somewhere, is he's you know he had an idea of it was a middle school and a big middle school at that. How do we have these surprise day surprise days where we you know, surprise a math teacher that she's going to get off that day. I've already, you know, our committee of teachers have already worked with their family or their friends or whatever it is to make sure they planned a day that's going to be really special to them and Mm -hmm. surprise them with it so that they can go take off and everybody's got their coverage. And it was just a culture. And that's like a really extreme way to look at it. But the, the thing I took away from it, it's a culture that was about the adults. How do I love serve them well so that we treat them as real people? I mean, you and I are talking like I been feeling sick because my youngest little man, James has kicked all of our butts over the holiday break. And I work in an organization and we work in an organization where when I'm sick, I've got teammates that have stepped up and I've, we've worked in schools where that's the norm and we've worked in schools where that's not the norm. And for me, that's when I think about the adult lens, I want, I want to be in an adult environment where I can be fully myself and my right. team covers for me when I can't, when I'm, when I'm not hundred percent that day, I, I've shown grace and my team's helping me. Or when someone else isn't 100%, I'm helping them. Like That's the part of the culture I want to be a part of. Yeah, that analogy is kind of just, you know, we, we, I know we often talk about sports offline, but it's really analogous to sports, to being on a team, right? Yeah. You think about your teammates. Um, like, what does it look like to have your teammates back? What does it look like for another teacher to have another teacher's back? What does it look like for a school leader? I, I've always been really blown away with those school leaders that are, are humble. And if, you know, let's say they can't get enough substitutes, the teachers out, they're in there teaching the kids because mm. guess what? They've been a teacher before. And I think that type of message shows to your staff that like, I'm in here with you. Um, yep. Right. Like I, if needed, I got your back. I know that normally I'm doing the admin stuff, but this is important. It is so just as it's important to you that the students get the lessons that they deserve, I'm happy to 
to jump in and be a part, be a part of, you know, the work for this day in terms of teaching, which I think, again, when I've, I've seen that happen numerous times, it, it just sends such a strong message to everyone in terms of this idea that all hands on deck and we're, we're in this together. So last viewpoint to take on this before we go, uh, what does the ideal school look like from the f- interaction with families viewpoint? Like what, what are we seeing or what have you seen at some of those awesome schools? I, I have found and been a part of schools with um, strong family involvement where the family just feels like an extension of the school, to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. The families feel mom or dad or caregiver or whoever feels comfortable and is allowed to come to the school at any given time. They don't have to give a heads up notice. Um, they're the types of schools where if there's like a, a math night or whatever night at the school, it's a hundred percent attendance, right? Yep. It's this idea that the families are like, Oh my gosh, I have to go into the school because I want to be there. Like I am a part of this community and, and educating my kid. It's not just, the teacher's responsibility. It's our responsibility. Um, I always have found that to be the most compelling and, and seeing the greatest impact because that also sends a message to the student that this is a cyclical thing. Like I don't necessarily have to separate home and school as much. They're actually connected. They can be connected because yeah. of the involvement of them. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed this year, again, I've got younger kids, high school, as you pointed out earlier, it's going to look different as they advance in age. But one of the things that I feel like I've appreciated this year is I want, I love knowing what my kids are studying week to week. So every week I get an email from uh, my third grade teacher and first grade teacher, and they tell me what they're learning that week in the different subjects and then what we can work with them on at night. Like that, that is fun to me because it gives me a little bit of homework myself. And so right. I appreciate the heck out of that. And then secondly, one of the things we talked about at the very beginning is when we walk in schools where we feel like kids believe the school needs them more than they need school. I'm more inept to like, I'm more, uh, I'm, I'm more likely to go attend anything at school because my kids are saying, we've got to do this, right? So it's my kids rallying the troops versus the the, the teachers or the administration trying to rally the troops. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about um, school when I was working in Harlem, how we had, essentially we had like, it was kind of like a PTA, but it was a little, little bit stronger than that. We called them mm. like the parent brigade or something like that. And this, this uh, group of parents and guardians were just instrumental in a, in a myriad of ways. So, for instance, they on the on the we kind of like gave them a, a small little budget, yep. and we didn't really give them any stipulations. Like, hey, this is some funding for you to use to help impact the school however you see fit. And they came away with amazing ideas. They facilitated an amazing teacher appreciation week, one that we, as myself as a school leader, could not compete with. Um, <laughs> it was just really thoughtful. And I think what I, I gained from that was we need to provide more opportunities where we're getting the voices of, of parents. And to the specific example that you pointed out with, you know, understanding what's going on in the classroom with your kids, 
that just needs to be the norm, right? Um, because you'll be will be surprised you'll be surprised with what families and guardians and caregivers come up with in terms of hey, this, this is something that you could potentially do better, principal. Like getting that feedback from them was really um, influential for me as a teacher and a school leader because they they're an additional set of eyes that are so happy to have their kid there that yep. they're going to do everything in power to, to help you do your job as a school leader, as a teacher, as a staff member. Yeah. It seems like a common theme today before we close is that, you know, having voice, choice, um, pride, uh, passion uh, just seems to be the key of it. And those are big terms that seem uh, right. kind of nebulous, but right. it, keeps it, coming, yeah. it, it keeps coming back to relationships. So it keeps coming back to, do I know folks and are, like are people in my school, kids, uh, staff and families, are they fully known, fully loved and fully communicated to like a, like a real friendship and real relationship? Um, before we close and I'll, I'll close this out in just a minute, I'd love for you to just tell us, you know, you're, you're around schools all the time. You're around inspirational people all the time that are in the school world. What is your best piece of advice for either building your ideal school or just encouraging educators right now as they're in the middle of, you know, it's going to be December. Uh, it's I mean, well, right now is December. Obviously we're taping this right before December, but when everyone's listening to this, it's December. And so as we're going into break, thinking about the second half of the school year, what's something that you just want to share with folks? Um, like creating an ideal school is, is a living document. Um, it's everyone's responsibility and everyone inside of the school um, has a vantage point on creating like an ideal school. So it's not just the school leader's responsibility. It's not just a group of teachers responsibility. Like everyone has a vantage point and there's something that they are really good at that can impact and lead to an ideal school for everyone that serves everyone. I love that. I think that's a part where I was pretty terrible at, and maybe I still am pretty terrible at. Is like I, as a leader, you know, I, I would say that like if you look at past, um, you know, three sixty reviews or whatever, I would say my folks working around me know that they're loved. But to your point, and and okay to be themselves and all of that. But I don't know if I ever knew how to delegate to find out. I could know what Bentley Captain is phenomenal at. But I don't know. I took the extra step to slow down because I was always moving too fast. So that I slowed down enough to think, what are big rocks on my plate that we're trying to tackle, right? Organizationally, where Bentley would love to tackle it because it's naturally who he is. That's a big miss. And even some of my current leadership, but definitely my past leadership in schools. And so I really appreciate that advice. Is there any advice to you, you have for people to be able to do that? So it's like, all right, slow down enough to think about, you know, get all the vantage points. Well, then how do we put that into action? Right. It's kind of nerdy, but this is kind of how it keeps me responsible and accountable. Write it down and <laughs> even, even calendar it out. Let's say you have like 20 staff members. Pick a, a day, pick a staff member each week or, you know, a strategic days that you're going to potentially have a conversation with them where you're learning about their greatness or even just having a conversation, a short one to figure out like, Hey, what are you, what are you really excited about for this latter half of the year? What are you working on? How can I support you? What do you need? I think yep. just that, that little interest, that little check-in that you can have with your staff members 
is really powerful. Um, and it, it works to everyone's benefit. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me to leave it out is, uh, you know, I, again, developing the ideal school is something that none of us can ever get to. And so that's one thing you just always want to work towards it. But uh, and it seems kind of scary because it's like, that seems so big. But the reality is, is that you've got the ingredients there. How do you, if you're, if you're the adult in the building and administrator in the building, how do you love, serve, and empower your leaders, your teachers to go love, serve, and empower the kids and then go love and serve and empower the families. I feel like the one, the encouragement that I've, it's been on my heart. I shared on a recent uh, short 10 minute podcast that I had was as humans, we need to figure out how to slow down and have a quiet space on a regular basis to set our intentions, right? To decide today, like you and I, Bentley, you talked like I've been sick. And so when I woke up this morning, I still focused. I was like, I am focused on these blessings that I have today and I am just going to be all in for this conversation and maybe back in bed in no time, but focus on what you have that day and be fully present in every moment and then figure out how to just love, serve and empower everybody. And if you focus as a leader on doing that for your adults, I just think that will take care of so many of the kid challenges that you've had. Man, I mean... (laughs) I don't know. It's just like, I, I'm, I'm really compelled by that. And I, I think my brain goes to this idea of like, what if everyone every day, not even just in education, but just everybody, I know we're focused on education, had that moment where they're setting the intention before they did anything. Mm-hmm. Like, what would that look like? Um, that my, you know, that's the type of stuff that like, gives me goosebumps when i think about it from the educator lens um especially right now when there's like so much going on whether it's like covid or money not being allocated to our school or waiting on grants when you're able to just like think about like what do i have control of what am i what is my intention for today what is my intention for this week um i think people will start to realize that they actually have more power and more say so and how they make an impact in their perspective roles and on their perspective teams. And, and I think I'm, I'm really fired up about that because I think, again, educators have the hardest job in the world um, and they have this amazing opportunity to impact students forever. They have this ability to create the weather in their classrooms um, for their students. And that's powerful. Well, BK, this has been awesome. This is our first breaking it down episode. Um, hopefully this is, becomes a more of an opportunity for us. This was a topic that was given to us throughout a number of conversations. So as you guys are listening, if there's a topic that you guys would want us to break down further, whether it's a hot topic in education or just you know uh, something that's been on your heart and mind, please reach out to us and let us know. We appreciate all the involvement you guys have. If you are a subscriber... Thank you so much for being a subscriber. If you're not, please subscribe. As well as always, if you hear something, if you heard something today that you think someone else could be uplifted by, please share it with them. That's the one way that you know we exist for nothing else. We want to continue to add positivity and joy in folks around. And remember that when we talk about change starts here, it's about looking in the mirror first before it's trying to change anybody else. The only person we can change is ourselves. And through that, we can make the biggest impact on uh others' lives. So Bentley, thanks for making time for us today. Appreciate your your head and your heart. Um, And I look forward to talking to you again soon.
Right on, man. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to more conversations. All right, man. We'll be in touch. Thanks, soon. Cheers. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.